0: Mark chapter number 9, starting verse number 14. When he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted them. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. Whithersoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and he pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered them and said, O faithless generation, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child, and oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more in him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and it came out of him, And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto him, This kind come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Uh, this morning, I'll be preaching on Jesus Help My Unbelief. So, as we go through this passage of Mark this morning, I want to consider how this story breaks down really into four parts here. There's four small scenes as we go along. And as we break the sections down like that, it shows us how the story unfolds and it tells us an important truth. With Christ all things are possible. And this truth that with Christ all things are possible presses upon us our need to live by faith and lean upon the Lord Jesus Christ for all that we do. And so the four scenes that we have start off with the disciples' failure and really a birth of a controversy around their failure. And then... As Jesus comes on the scene, he sort of diagnoses the issue. What's the problem? And he diagnoses what's at the heart of this controversy. After that, you see the deliverance of the child from the demon. And we circle back at the end to the disciples' issue and the diagnosis of the disciples' issue, which is really the cause of all the problems that that are going on in the scene. So let's look at that first scene starting, it's in uh, verses uh, 14 through 19, the disciples' failure and this birth of this controversy. So, Jesus, if you remember, took Peter, James, and John up in the mountain by themselves. So, while they were there, the Lord Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shined like the sun, his clothes were brighter than any fuller could white them. Elijah and Moses appeared before the Lord and they began talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus about his decease and what Jesus would accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter saw all this. He was afraid. He didn't know what to say. So he just said something. So we ought to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Well, at this point, the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Well, the disciples were scared and they fell on their face, and Jesus told them to arise, be not afraid. And when they looked up, Jesus was no longer transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah were gone, and everything was just as it was. Well, they started back down the mountain, and when they got they were going back to where the other nine disciples were so they left the nine they left the nine Jesus Peter James and John went up the mountain where they're coming back to the nine and whenever they got closer they saw this big commotion going on there was a multitude of people there and they were all gathered around the disciples in an argument with the scribes i saw a video recently it said this is my husband when he's coming home. And it showed a picture of a guy driving in his car, on his face, singing along with the radio. He's all happy. He's coming home from work. And he said, this is our house when my husband walks in the door. And it showed a scene. There's this utter chaos. People were <laughs> throwing furniture over, throwing stuff out the window, screaming, jumping on top of the furniture. This utter chaos. And I thought about that when I read this. They left the disciples there, went up. Here's a scene on top of the mountain. They, they heard the voice of God the Father. They saw the transfigured Christ. They're, they're talking about this wondrous thing that they saw, considering the deep truths that they just experienced as they're walking back. And then when they get back to the disciples, there's a multitude there. The other nine are arguing with the scribes. All these people are gathered around them. What, you know, this is, what in the world is going on? When Jesus gets closer, the people say, Hey, look, there's Jesus, and they get excited, and they run to him. And then the Lord says, he, he asked one of the scribes, What are you arguing about with the disciples? What are you guys arguing about? Well, the scribe didn't get a chance to answer because somebody in the multitude spoke up because he and his son were at the center of this controversy. He said... In essence, master or rabbi, teacher, I brought my boy up here on the mountain for deliverance. He's demon-possessed, and this demon won't let him talk. And and then he seizes up, and this demon just tears him. He throws him down on the ground. He convulses, he he seizes up. He foams at the mouth and, and grinds and gnashes his teeth. And he shrivels up and just passes out. I brought him up here. You weren't here. I took him to your disciples, and they couldn't help him. And they couldn't cast him out. So the dad tells the story. The scribes are there arguing with the disciples, probably because the disciples tried and failed, and the scribes say, well, see there, you guys don't know what you're doing. And then they went back and forth. Jesus looks at this whole scene and says, Faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? How long must I endure your faithfulness? Faithlessness. How long do I have to put up with this this faithlessness of the whole lot of you? And he said, bring him unto me. Bring me the boy. So that's our first issue. The disciples' failure. They brought the boy there for healing, and he just couldn't, he couldn't be healed. So now we're going to get to the heart of the issue, which Jesus just said in verse 19, and we get, dial in on it a little bit more, starting in verse number 20 down to verse 24. They brought the boy to Jesus. And as soon as he did, immediately, the boy had this demon-induced seizure. The boy fell down on the ground and started rolling around, foaming at the mouth. This had been happening since the boy was a, a small child. And as the dad tells the story, just breaks your heart thinking about it. He can't leave the boy alone because the demon would seize him and cast him in the fire. Couldn't let him go outside and wander around because if he went out by himself and got near water, the demon would seize him and he'd fall in the water and drown. So that had to be with him all all the time and the boy can't talk Because this demon took away his his ability to speak. The boy is suffering. The dad's suffering. I mean, you can imagine on both sides the the suffering of the boy with this ailment and the suffering of the dad to to watch his son go through this. It's hard to express the worry and the anxiety he would have had over his child seeing this small boy suffer like this watch helplessly, knowing that it's not a medical issue that he's having, but demons are oppressing this child. That some unseen demonic force is oppressing this boy and harming him, and there's not a thing he can do about it. And not only that, but the stigma that's going to come along with it, Everywhere they would go, people would whisper about that demon-possessed boy. Oh, yeah, I was, I was uh, down by the river one day, and I saw him walking by, and the boy just went down in the river, and the dad had to jump in and, and save him. And, you know, oh, yeah, I, I saw him one time, and he just ran right into the fire, about burned to death. The dad said, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He's asking compassion both for his son but for himself because that shows you just how much he was hurting because of his son. And I think every parent in here knows the feeling this dad is having that you just you'd do anything for your child and to see them hurt to see them suffer, and there's just nothing that you can do. He said, "Lord, have compassion on us." There's a lot going on here. To, to and the poor boy just thrashed and fall on the ground and and seize up and, and pass out, and he would come come to his senses, and then. Probably everybody be staring at him. Or, or, And then not only that, but he can't tell anybody anything because he can't talk. He can't communicate. And then so you have both of these problems here. He's got, he's got all these problems, but he can't say anything about it. A terrible situation. Then he comes to the disciples because he heard, oh, there's a man that can cast out demons. And he comes and says, well, I've also heard these disciples can do it too. And he comes with a little bit of hope and they try and he can't do it. And now the scribes are just making this boy part of a, um, like a tennis ball back and forth between the disciples and the scribes arguing about this and that. He tells this story, so Mark tells us twice how bad it is and he tells the story to Jesus. Jesus said, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And this is an emotional scene. This boy is literally being attacked by this wicked, foul demon. No one can help him. His whole life, no one can help him. The disciples couldn't help him. Here at the last, and and. He brings his child to Jesus, and as he's telling this story, as he's telling him what's happening, the boy falls to the ground and convulses, and, and, and it's happening right before the Lord's eyes. And Jesus says this to him, which convicts him of his own faithlessness, and he cries out with tears. With all this going on, he cries out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus just called everyone. They're a faithless generation tears in his eyes, he, he cries out, help. You ever been there? I, th- I think all believers can know what he means by this. Even if we can't exactly express or define it, I believe, help, my own belief. I mean, it's kind of contradictory when you think about it. Help me because I don't believe, but I believe. But I think all of God's people can understand what he's saying. He has an uncertain, doubtful faith. He he did believe a little bit because he brought the boy to the disciples and then again to Jesus. But he's 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 double-minded. He believes something because he came to Jesus, but at the same time, no one else has been able to help and And he just kind of, he hopes so, but he doesn't really, he's not really convinced. That's why he told Jesus, if thou canst do anything, if you can do anything, if you can do this, please do it. He's not saying if you would do this, or if it's your will that you would do this. He's saying if you can, if it's possible for you. Everybody else has failed, but maybe you can. And so when Jesus said, when Jesus said, um, told him that if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth, he took that as a rebuke and cried out in faith. He cried to the Lord who gives faith to cure him of his faithlessness. All right, so that's the second scene. So we've got a problem with the disciples. And now we sort of have a problem just with the issue of faith itself and belief. And this is something the dad had to deal with. Now we go to the third scene, the deliverance of the child, starting in verse 25 to 27, where we get to the, the big issue here. The boy's laying on the ground being thrashed by this demon. Well, when the guy cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. The, the, and then the boy was being oppressed by this demon. The people saw that and they started running together. So now something's about to happen. And then everybody's coming around and the scribes probably gather around close to see if Jesus is going to fail too. The disciples come around and say, well, what's Jesus going to do differently that we didn't do? And the people start gathering around, just curious of what's going to happen. Maybe there's going to be another... Uh, deliverance, maybe something's going to happen to this boy, maybe Jesus is going to thrash the, the scribes again. Who knows what's going to happen. They gather around. The rest of the people start coming together. Jesus rebuked the foul spirit. He says, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter him, enter no more into him. Jesus tells that demon, he said, come out. And not only come out, don't you ever go back. He charges him and commands him. And the spirit did. But this is a wicked, wicked spirit. He cried and tore him one last time. One last act of wicked defiance. This demon. One more time, because he wasn't going to go back into him anymore. Jesus made sure of that. But one more time, thrashed him. And this this time was worse than all the others before because he just laid there motionless, like a dead body. It was so bad that the people around there thought that the demon had killed him. But as we read there, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and the boy arose. That brings us to the fourth scene, the disciples and their diagnosis and the cause, of really, of all the problems that we've had so far. This happens. Who knows what else was going on there, but everybody starts to disperse. Jesus and the twelve come down off the mountain, they enter into the house where they were staying. The disciples got Jesus alone and asked him, well, Jesus, why, can't, why couldn't we cast that demon out? I would have asked privately too. I wouldn't want to ask in front of everybody. Lord, tell us why we're failures at this. But they were anxious about it. What, what did you do that we didn't do? Well, Jesus told them that kind of Wicked demon wouldn't come out but by prayer and fasting. So the question that we want to ask here, so we've got four little scenes, four little things going on. What's the through line to this story? So what's the thread that ties all this together? What's the common thing common that is in each one of these sections that we keep coming back to? Well, it comes down to faith and unbelief. That's the common thing that you find throughout this whole story. In each one of those sections, you had either someone believing or someone unbelieving. The the demon-possessed child, though that's the, the thrust that, that's brought them all together, and that's the wicked power, is just something that is showing us what the, the spiritual issue is with everybody else. See, the boy had... The, the demon possessed possession. But everybody around him had another kind of spiritual problem. The other thing that we can think of, this is one of those uh, classic Mark sandwiches. And we've seen it a couple times throughout the Gospel of Mark. So when you read Mark, you find this all the time, the story will open with something. Then... Something will happen in the middle; it sort of interrupts it, and then we go back to the end, and it finishes up what started. Well, that's what we have here. It's sort of think of it like a sandwich. So the top bun is the failure of the disciples, the fight with the scribes, Jesus calling a faithless generation, and then the bottom bun is back at the house where Jesus says, "Now let me tell you why you failed." So you got the failure of the disciples. On the top, and you got the reason why they failed in the bottom, and then the meat of the, the story is the deliverance of, of the child himself and the conversation with the father. So the disciples failed at the, on the, the top part of the sandwich, and then the bottom part of the sandwich, Jesus says, you failed because that kind of demon doesn't come apart from prayer and fasting. So even though Jesus had given them the authority to cast out the demons, and they had been successful prior, it was their lack of prayer, that was the reason why they didn't succeed. And if we think about this sandwich here, the meat of it is the exorcism. The dad heard the rebuke about the faithless generation, and then he heard the rebuke about unbelief, And that's when he cried out to the Lord to help his unbelief. Because Jesus said all things were possible to those that believe. And I think that was a rebuke towards the man's faithlessness, especially since he told Jesus, If you can do anything. So he said, If you can do anything, Jesus, do something. But Jesus' response is very interesting. He said, "If thou canst believe," which the man obviously and rightly took that as a chastisement, because he had been doubting; he had an uncertain faith. But uh, Robertson has an interesting observation, and let me tell you what he says. He says the Greek has an idiom not preserved in the English translation. The article takes up the very words of the man and puts the clause in the accusative case of general reference. So, what that means is, it's a, it's as if, he said, as to the if thou believe thing, that you said, all things can to the one who believes. So, the word for possible is the same as the word is can't, canst. Right? So, What he does is it's a a challenge of the father's faith on one hand because he takes almost the same words that he said and just turns them back on on the man. Marshall uh, paraphrased it this way. So the guy says "Um, if thou canst and Jesus says if thou canst do anything have compassion and help us And it's as if Jesus responds, As for your, if you can, as far as that's concerned, I tell you that all things can for those who believe. So he takes his words. The guy was accusing Jesus. He said, if you can. And Jesus says, well, as far as that if you can thing goes, all things can to those who believe. So he, 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 he accuses Jesus, and Jesus flips it right back and accuses him right back and, and says, well, you can. not As far as that if you can stuff, as far as that doubtfulness stuff accusing me that if I can't, all things are possible. All things can to those who believe. So it's sort of a, a play on words here. But it also drives a little bit further at what the issue is here, right? It wasn't, the interesting thing here, I think, is that the dad is not the one that's casting out the demon. Who's the one that's failed? Well, it's not the dad's faithlessness to why the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. That's what the word faith people say that people will bring their sick relatives to these guys, these charlatans, and they'll say, I'll cast out this uh, cancer, but you have to have the faith. And if you don't have the faith, I can't cast out the sickness, and that's your fault. And they they take this and say, well, I could do it, but it's up to you. But the dad's not the one that's failing in casting out the demon. The disciples are the ones that are failing. Remember those that bread on the sandwich. The disciples failed. And Jesus, they didn't come and say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus said, well, it's because that dad didn't have enough faith. No, that's not what he said, was it? How come we couldn't cast out the demon? Jesus said, because that kind can't be cast out without prayer and fasting. It wasn't the dad who had a lack of faith that was the problem. The dad had come and suggested that Jesus might not be able to do what he's, he's desiring. The dad was just subtly saying that Jesus, you might be able to or you might not, I don't know. But if you do have the power, please do it. Try anyway, I don't know if you can or not. So the main thrust here is not so much that the dad had to believe, though he should, but that all things were possible with Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus wasn't going to fail like the disciples. See, this man was not not doubting his power to cast out the demon. The man was doubting Jesus because the disciples tried and failed and said well maybe you're just like them if you can do it please do but Jesus is saying all things are possible for them to believe he's not saying that if you believe hard enough this will happen he's saying that all things are possible with me don't doubt me that's what that's what the, the main point of this is I believe that I can do this all things are possible to him that believeth the scribes are a faithless generation the disciples are a faithless generation the disciples are part of that faithless generation you dad are a part of this faithless generation but not me don't let me in with 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 everyone else who tries and fails all things are possible with me. Jesus wasn't doubtful. Jesus wasn't like this faithful generation. He calls Jesus master a rabbi or teacher. Jesus is not like one of those faithless rabbis. They could come and tell you stories about Israel's faithfulness, but then would turn around and be more faithless than they ever were. No, Jesus wasn't like this faithful, faithless generation. Jesus was like what the Lord Jehovah said in Numbers 14 11. The Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have shown among them? Jesus looked, How long must I suffer this faithless generation? That's what God said about the Israelites in Numbers 14. How long ere they believe me? Or again in Deuteronomy 32, 20. I will hide my face from them, and I will see what their end shall be, for they were a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. So when the men tried and failed... Jesus didn't. When this faithless generation just has words but no power, Jesus never fails. There's no obstacle that was too difficult difficult for the Lord. No power of evil too great. So yes, the dad was convicted because he had a faithlessness. He was double-minded. But this story is both a condemnation of the lack of the faith of the people, but also a glorification of the perfect faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Against the cold, black backdrop of the disciples' failure and the people's unbelief, we see the shining glory and power and perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Up on the mountain, we saw his face transfigured. We saw him shining with glory. Then he comes down on the mountain, and we no longer see the, the whiteness, whiter than any fuller could white, but we see him against the black backdrop of hateful dement, demonic power and a faithless generation. He wasn't shining physically, but His glory and His power is shining forth among this faithlessness. And even though no one but Peter, James, and John saw that great scene on the Mount of Transfiguration, they certainly saw something great here. They saw the power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord Jesus, His perfect faithfulness to all that the Father had given him to do. Jesus had power over demons. He had power even over death. The boy didn't die, but it sure looked like he did. It was such a violent seizure that he had that he just laid there. The boy couldn't talk, but the demon cried out, so whatever this demonic voice sounded like, this unholy, wicked, foul being screamed out, and then the boy just laying there like he was dead. Look there in verse 26, it says it twice. And the spirit cried out and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead. Insomuch many said, He is dead. So that was a double underline, bold highlight there. It says it twice. But then look at verse 27. But then Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. So that's underlined for us. It's repeated, right? So it's he repeated twice. He looked like he was dead. He repeated twice. He, Jesus lifted him up. So it's stressing there the power that Jesus had. But this wasn't Jesus just helping him up because he was laying down. This was Jesus restoring him, restoring the boy back. If you remember, whenever Peter's mom was sick in Mark 1, Jesus went in verse 31 and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. Then you remember Jairus's daughter. She was dead. And Jesus took the damsel by the hand and said, On her daughter, I say unto thee, Arise. And she came back from the dead. And so here's a third time where Jesus goes and takes somebody by the hand and tells them to rise. And they do so. It highlights and stresses and, and points to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. There's nothing too difficult for Jesus. All things are possible for the Lord. He can cast out demons. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. Nothing is impossible for him. That's the big takeaway here. The glory of Christ. One guy said that God is not one power among many powers here, but he is the one God, the creator, for whom nothing is impossible. As truly God, Jesus, can do all things, As truly human, he's the one that manifests that ultimate trust in God that corresponds to human beings, which they have perverted in this unbelieving generation. Jesus is the one to whom all things are possible. His faith, the dad's faith, was directed towards Christ. He says, Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Well, now we get to that bottom piece of bread there in the disciples' diagnosis. So we go back to why, the, why did the disciples fail? And this helps us understand the whole thing, is to, to understand the, the, the top and the bottom of this, this story. Garland said Jesus presents a positive example that reveals a life governed by faith. And prayer can quench the demonic threat. The disciples, however, present a negative example of what happens who neglect prayer. So when they say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? They were thinking, why did we fail? Where did we go wrong? What did Jesus do that we didn't do? Jesus said, lack of prayer and fasting. But what did Jesus not do before he cast the demon out? Jesus was talking to the dad, how long has this been happening? How long has this been going on? The people come around, and then he rebukes the demon. Jesus didn't say a prayer right before he cast the demon out. He didn't lift his eyes towards heaven and pray. He didn't quietly bow. So Jesus is not saying, well, you messed up because you forgot to say the incantation." You forgot to say the certain prayer that I taught you, and that, that's how you cast out the demons. That's what people think now. You know there are schools that people go to and training classes that people go to to learn how to cast out demons. And then they have uh, signs and tests, and they have uh, prayers that they say and, and all this kind of stuff. I've listened to a Roman Catholic exorcist go through all of his stuff that he does and what works and what doesn't work and, and and all this kind of stuff. But that's what he thinks. He thinks there are certain prayers that you can say and if you say these things in the right order and do these things then you can get power over the demons and so forth. But that's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, well, you forgot step, you forgot step number two in the five-step process to cast out wicked demons. No, the problem was they had not been in a spirit of prayer in general. Their faith was also lacking because they were a part of that group where Jesus looked around and said, faithless generation. It wasn't just the scribes and it wasn't just the dad, but it was all of them. It was that whole group of people that were down there raising the commotion. Because they had lacking faith too. The scribes didn't believe anything about Jesus. They had zero faith. The dad was sort of wishy-washy and he, he thought maybe Jesus could do something, maybe not, I don't know. We'll see. We'll wait and see. But the disciples were part of that too. Not that they had zero faith, but they had awfully weak faith and a too high of opinion of themselves, really. They had confidence that they could do the work of the Lord without the Lord, without prayer, and without reliance upon God. Their failure wasn't that they didn't do the procedure right, nor was it because they didn't pray right before, because Jesus didn't pray right before either. The fact is, they hadn't been praying in general. Jesus saw them, the first thing that he encountered was them arguing with the scribes. No doubt, the scribes were using the opportunity to tell everyone what the disciples, that the disciples had failed, Jesus had failed, and they started pushing back. No doubt, back and forth, you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. You know, you can just imagine what was going on. But if you go through the Gospels and see when the scribes do that to Jesus, is a very, a very dissimilar thing that happens to the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will grieve in His spirit. Sometimes the Lord will pray oftentimes the Lord will ignore what they say and focus on the work. But the disciples were not in this spirit of, of prayer and fasting. They were not in this continual um, meditation and, and com- communication with the Lord. That was where their failure was. Jesus said, I gave him authority to cast out demons, so they said, okay, well, I can cast out demons. Jesus said I could but their general attitude and lack of prayer in their life was the reason for their failure. And that comes down to a lack of faith, a faithlessness, a weak faith. What about you? Are there things in your life that you feel like, well, I got this. I don't really need to pray about that. I can do that. I'll just, I'll pray about the big stuff. It's easy to get into a routine and then just think, well, I got this. I, I don't need to pray. It's easy to get a routine in parenting. You, know, you, you get you know, a year or two under your belt and you say, well, I, I've got this. i got this under control. I don't have to pray about this anymore. I, I'm doing all right. Why should I pray about this? Why should I pray about my marriage? I've been married for so many years. Why should I pray for the Lord to bless and and to strengthen my marriage and, and to make me a better husband or to help me be a better wife? I got this. I don't need to pray about that. I always think about this. I've been preparing sermons for 27 years. And it'd be easy for me to say, well, step one, you do this with the Bible. Step two, you do this. Step three, you get this outline and so forth and just go on. I don't need to pray about this. I don't need to pray because this is just regular Sunday. This is just regular Wednesday night service. Why do I need to pray about this? It's not like it's it's a big thing or something. No, see, these are just the kind of things where you say, well, I'm doing the Lord's work, but I've done it before. I don't need to pray about this. I'm doing the Lord's, you know, I don't need to pray about my family. I don't need to pray about my job. I don't need to be in a constant attitude of prayer. Well, that's what the disciples thought. Yes, we ought to pray about specific things, and yes, they should have prayed before they tried to cast that demon out. They should have asked God, but they, they ought to be praying all the time. It was their lack of prayerfulness in general was the, was the problem. Because Jesus said prayer and fasting, I mean, if someone brought you a child and, and they tried to cast him out, How could the disciples, what if the disciples just ate lunch? Because they said, Well, you're gonna have to come back tomorrow because I have to fast. Right? It it wasn't that particular situation. It wasn't Jesus said, Well, if you do this step next time, you'll get whatever you want. He said, No, you're just you're just living in general in a in a state of, of unbelief. Because if you believe in the power of prayer, you'll pray. If you believe that you are really helpless without the Lord, if you believe that there are spiritual, there's uh, powers that that attack God's people every day. If you believe that temptation is real and your heart is weak, and that if the Lord uh, doesn't hold you up, you're going to fall, then you're going to pray. But if you believe, well, I got this. I've done it before. I'll just pray about the big things. You will end up like the disciples. I thought about this and I I echoed what the dad said. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you feel that? I, I, I feel those words. I can relate to those words. Lord, I believe in the power of prayer. Lord, I believe and know that I failed. Lord, I believe in what you say in your word. Lord, I believe I failed just like those disciples have failed. Lord, help my unbelief. It's not belief in myself. It's not that people take this passage and they can make it about themselves sometimes. If they have more faith, then they can do anything. If I can just have more faith, then I can do whatever I want. I want X, Y, Z to happen, so I'm going to pray. And if I have enough faith, then it's going to happen because all things are possible because I believe. Well, that's the path to the name it and claim it crowd. It's not faith in ourselves. It's faith in the one who cannot fail. It's faith in the one who can cast out demons and raise the dead. It's faith in the one who laid down his own life and took it up again. It's faith in the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who, who, Jesus, who the Lord said, this is my beloved Son, hear he him. That's what the Father said up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. You listen to Him. You hear Him. The Disciples trusted in their own ability and failed. In a spirit of prayer and a spirit of humility and recognition in our humanity, we can't do all things. Prayer is an acknowledgment that we're weak and we're needy. It's an acknowledgment that God is the creator of the universe and does all things well and he rules all and he can do all things and he can answer our prayers through Christ and he does hear our prayers through Christ and he does strengthen us in the inner man and he does help our unbelief and he does give us faith and he does increase our faith. And so it's a reliance upon God for all that we do, not just the big stuff. It's a life of prayer and dependence upon God. Well, are you lacking? Did this sting you as it stung the dad here? And you say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, what do you do? No, you pray. That's the answer to it, isn't it? Lord, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. The answer is not to buy a book or to take a class or to do anything else, it's to pray. Child of God, you say, I I haven't been in the spirit of prayer. What do I do? I'm a part of this faithless generation. What do I do? Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me. Increase my faith. Increase my strength. Help me to rely upon you. Because you, with you, and in you, all things are possible.